Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. I'm going to talk to you today about retrading and more importantly, what the heck is retrading? This is a term that's come up again. It's it's reared its ugly head in the in the real estate business. So we're going to talk about retrading today. It's one of those catchy buzzwords. It's like when people, you know, people like saying salsa. I like saying salsa. It's one of my favorite words, salsa. Salsa. Anyway, um, retrading is one of those little buzz, buzzwords that those engineer uh, types that are out there doing their syndications and whatnot, they're, they establish this kind of mindset, this way of thinking, this supposed modus operandi, the way of doing business, right? They, they're calling the shots or trying to call the shots over what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And this kind of bugs me. So first of all, we're going to start, I'm going to read right off of Wikipedia, the definition of retrade. It's the practice of renegotiating the purchase price of real property by the buyer after initially agreeing to purchase at a higher price. Typically, this occurs after the buyer gets the property under contract during that period that is performing due diligence. The buyer may raise a due diligence issue and demand a purchase price adjustment to a lower retrade price. The seller can be left in a bad situation where he must either accept a lower price or lose the sale and remarket the property. Moreover, loss of the sale can affect the entire chain of related transactions, such as a 1031 exchange and things like that. So that's the gist of it, folks. That's the gist of it. And the there's people out there that are rearing up their heads going, it's just not cool to do a retrade, man. And when you make an offer, that that should be it. You shouldn't go back and renegotiate. And I say bollocks is what I, you know, on that. It, that's a bunch of garbage. I've never seen anything so stupid in my entire life. Here's the thing. This, I think this come, this must have come from brokers and sellers got together and decided that, listing brokers, that this is the way things are going to be. And somehow they must have grabbed a bunch of uh, rookie buyers in an alley, beat them up or something and convinced them that renegotiating is not an option. Well, I got news for you, folks. In the real world, grownups tell the truth, right? And when we are out there doing good business and we find things, we find out that what we were told is not accurate. Well, guess what? That means everything changes, right? Why would it not be okay to retrade? Well, of course, it always had, there always has to be a case where some knucklehead took advantage of the situation and made things bad for everybody. And we're going to, and that's actually covered in the same Wikipedia article down below. It says in troubled real estate markets like that, like that experience in the great recession of the, of the late 2000s. It was common for some buyers to intentionally misuse the due diligence process and to initially offer a higher price than they're actually willing to pay in order to control the property and renegotiate later. I get that, folks. I get that 100%. But here's the thing. I don't agree with people doing that, locking it up and then coming back and kind of backdoor negotiating when there's no good reason. Okay. Now, I will say this. That does not excuse sellers and listing brokers from being required to, for full disclosure, you should be willing and enable and required to to disclose material defects. First of all, as a licensed real estate broker, they have requirements, ladies and gentlemen, they have requirements to disclose anything that has a material impact on the value of the property. But just because you're a commercial broker doesn't mean you're absolved of this liability. You are. You need to, to fully disclose. That's called doing good business, okay? As for sellers, if a seller hasn't doesn't reasonably or wouldn't reasonably know something was wrong, then fine, you know, so be it. However, that doesn't mean that I'm, because at this stage of the game, folks, I'm in there doing an inspection. When I find major issues, that's 
not Tyler's problem. That's the seller's problem. I made my offer in good faith that the building was in reasonable condition. Now, if I find out something like, for example, the income records or the expense records are either false or embellished. If I find out that the information I was given is not accurate, you can bet your bippy that I'm going to retrade. We're just going to go ahead and call it. I'm going to come in and put you in a headlock and don't be surprised if my attorneys are, are following suit coming right in behind me because don't lie to me and don't try to cheat and steal my, me or my investors. That doesn't work, right? We're going to retrade. I know that some of you are just cringing going, no, you can't do that. You have to just roll over and, and, and lose money because it's not cool to retrade. I say bollocks, garbage. That's not acceptable, folks. That's not acceptable. You cannot be a coward, especially when you're investing somebody else's money. You got to have the guts to stand up and defend your investors. You have to have the guts to stand up and invest you and your team. You can't buy a bad deal just because you made an offer. Your offer was made in good faith. That means if there is no good faith on the other end, the offer is bye-bye. Okay. Now that said, that doesn't mean you need to drag out the inspection period forever in a day. Realistically, even in a commercial space, you should be able to get an inspection done in a couple days, in a couple weeks. On a big building, you're doing 100, 200, 300, 500 units. I get that it's going to take a long time to get inspections done. But if it's a smaller building, if it's like under 40, 50 doors, you know, or a house or something like that, you should be able to get an inspection done in seven to 10 days. Don't drag the seller out, ladies and gentlemen. Don't drag the seller out any longer than necessary. You want to be fair. And if you are fair, you should, therefore, you're entitled to be treated fair yourself. If you're not being fair, you really can't expect to be treated fair, can you? So as far as the recent trading thing, a couple other things, like for example, the the, the uh, landlord or the broker will say, oh, this thing rents for, all the units are renting for $1,000 a month and there's 100 units. Well, then you go to do your due diligence, you get copies of the leases and find out the $1,000 a month is really projected. They just forgot to put the word projected there. It's actually only renting for $750 per unit and some of them are renting for $500. That is, that's a no-no. That's doing bad business, ladies and gentlemen. That is very bad business. Shame on you, Mr. Broker or Mr. Seller. You're going to get a big old fat retrade from Uncle Tyler. I'm here to tell you, we are going to renegotiate the deal. And now I don't trust you. Now I kind of think you're a scumbag. So we're going to, we're going to really roll up our sleeves and renegotiate this deal from the word go. Uh, if you're a broker and you misrepresented the facts, you, I may possibly file an ethics complaint against you because really what you've done, what you've done is fraud in my opinion. Okay. I just, I just think it's fraudulent. Now, another option, another thing that comes up that I see is uh, operating outside of the zoning. Got this going on right now. Some of the students in, in the mastermind are, we're working on a deal as a group. Okay. There's, there's, couple people in the group, they're all working on a deal together. I'm kind of just supervising the thing, letting them go through it and figure out what's going on. But here is a, a licensed real estate broker who is the listing agent, and she is listing incomes and whatnot that she knows full well are, it's not even zoned for that. She knows this because she went to code enforcement. She got hauled into to, uh, code enforcement court for violating zoning laws. Okay. They, they told, they shut her down. They told her to put her, everybody needs to get out. It's not legal as a rental, as a multifamily rental. It's zoned office. She's ignored that and she continues to market this property as if it's a multifamily property, knowing full well that it's that's not its highest and best use. That's not what it's zoned for. Well, maybe it's highest and best use. We don't know yet, but it's not what it's zoned for. And she's representing it, those income numbers as factual. Well, I got news for her. If somebody complains, that's a clear ethics violation. She could very easily lose her license for that. Not good folks, you know, don't, because here's the thing, an unassuming buyer may come in there, write a check, pay cash for this, no checks and balances in place, no no lending underwriter or anything looking at the situation. The person pays cash for this, find out that they've paid over value, that it can can't be used as they as it's intended. Next thing you know, they paid all this money for an office space and they don't know anything about office. They didn't intend to buy an office. That's walking down the lines of fraud, folks. I'm not an attorney, but uh, that's, that doesn't look good. I imagine that I wouldn't want to be standing in front of the judge being that person. 
tell you that right now. Septic and sewer issues. Let's say, for example, they know the owner knows that the septic system is on its last legs. It's about to fail or it has failed. Maybe they've done some sort of cut and patch repair, try to get it through so it doesn't clog up when the buyers are there looking. Well, folks, that's a no-no. You know, you can't do that to people. Don't stick it to them, your buyers, and expect things to work out for you. That's just not how things go, folks. That's kind of called being a scumbag, and that's not cool. Non-disclosure of code violations. This is a big one. You know, sellers know they have a code violation. It's, you know, they play the game like they never knew. Oh, I didn't get the letter. I didn't notice the big orange sign in the front yard or glued to my door with tacks and staples and some super glue and you peel the label off it rips the paint off the door no i didn't see that big violation (laughs) ladies and gentlemen that's a no-no that's not being cool that is really again that's it's it's non-disclosure but again it's walking down the road the road of uh, fraud that's ripping people off the buyer has a right to know the issues with their property. And if they discover these issues uh, during their due diligence period, during their inspections, well, they have a right to renegotiate, especially when you were not forthcoming and telling them what's going on. Shame on you. I know you're probably thinking, Tyler, Tyler's crazy because no seller in the right mind is going to say, hey, look, my property's a piece of garbage. I get that, folks. But there's a difference between not saying anything and hiding things that you absolutely know are not are going wrong. I don't expect a seller to to pre-inspect their property. Maybe they live out of state. Maybe there's a good reason. This does not apply to every single situation, of course, but there are a lot of scummy scummy sellers out there and scummy brokers out there that are purposely hiding things they know exist, hoping they can get through the closing. Shame on you if that's the case. Another reason that I think a, a retrade or a renegotiation is absolutely worthwhile and should be fine no matter who the powers that be think whether it's cool or not, is plumbing and electrical issues. Here's an example. In a lot of areas, especially down in the South, there are two types of electrical panels that have been basically recalled and insurance companies will not insure a building that has these in them. And the, the two types that I off the top of my head are Zinsburg and uh, Federal Pacific. If you own a building or buying a building, whether it be office building, whatever, that has these type of electrical panels, they're recalled. Most insurance companies won't insure a building that has these panels. And you might say, well, how are they ever going to know? Well, gee, what if you had a fire and uh, the arson investigator comes in and looks, looks, opens the panel door and finds that you've got these Innsberg or these Federal Pacific panels and determines that to be the cause of the fire. Well, guess what? Don't you think it's possible the insurance company can say, hey, you should have known these panels are recalled. You obviously didn't have an inspection or the inspector overlooked it. We're not going to cover this. I'm sure that's absolutely possible. You can't tell me that cannot happen. So let's pretend, for example, that you're buying a 100-unit building. You walk in and you see these Zinsberg panels on all 100 doors. All 100 units have the Zinsberg panel. And you know those all have to be replaced. Let's say that it costs you two grand. I mean, it's going to vary depending on the type of property, the complexity, where the panel's located. There's all kinds of variables. But just to throw out a number, let's say it's going to cost $2,000 for an electrical service upgrade, a panel upgrade on each one of these little apartments, right? Let's say that's the case. That's going to cost a That's going to cost 200 grand. Let's say it costs $1,000. It's still going to cost $100,000. Now, as an operator, as a quote-unquote syndicator, as a real estate buyer, is it fair for you to be able to eat that on day one? Well, I guess if you've negotiated an amazing deal and you're comfortable with handing that $200,000 check to the electrician the day after you bought the property, knock yourself out. That's totally within your right. But if this comes as a huge surprise to you, then you absolutely should have the right and the wherewithal to roll up your sleeves, get back to that negotiating table and negotiate a new deal. Because obviously your projections, let's say your CapEx, let's say you only allowed 100000 for CapEx. Let's say we're looking at a small building and you built in, let's say, I don't know, $100,000 for CapEx, planning on replacing the roofs in a couple of years, let's say. Well, now you've got this hundred, $200,000 nut just for the electrical panel. And what if it's got aluminum wiring? Now you have to have the buildings, all the wiring terminals 
combinations have to be terminated with copper. You're looking at 500 to 750 to $1,000 per unit times 100 all over again. You see how these things could nickel dime you to death. Now, let's pretend that you are a passive investor in this deal and you wound up with some syndicator that has no guts, that didn't want to be uncool and retrade heavens to Betsy. And then they call you and say, they do what they call a capital call. And they say, hey, Mr. Smith, Mrs. Smith, uh, we kind of, we bought this building and we got to do electrical service upgrade. And I know that wasn't in our original prospectus and it wasn't written into anything that we told you up front, but we didn't really want to upset the seller or the broker. We wanted to be in the cool kids club with all the other cool syndicators. So we need you guys to come up with some more capital. I know you already put a half million dollars into this project, but we're going to need you to pony up like another 10, 15, 20 grand. And everybody else in the deal has to pony up extra money because we can't get insurance to protect your investment. How is that going to roll folks? So that's if you're the passive investor, if you are going to be a syndicator, any of you that are doing syndication work or you're buying any type of real estate, if you find issues, you need to ask yourself the very important question. Are these issues going to make or break this deal? Now, let's say we're talking about a single family house and there's a broken outlet in the back porch. Okay. Fix the outlet. They cost like 50 cents, right? Maybe. I don't think they cost that much. I think they cost like 25 cents. And maybe you have an electrician go out there for a hundred bucks and replace it, right? Let's say it's a service charge. Little things like that, sure. Don't nickel dime the seller. You expect, you're not buying a brand new house. You are buying a, a used property, right? We'll call it a used property versus new. There are some things that are just considered normal wear and tear. However, when these things are, when the repair costs are just, massive when it's going to have an impact on your cash flow. Look at it this way. Let's say you're doing a single family house or, or two or three unit property or four unit property. You've only got so much cash flow to work with for the whole year anyway. Let's say you're making, I don't know, $300 a door and you got a duplex, right? That means you're making $600 a month, right? So 600 times 12 months, you're making $7,200 a year net cash flow right? Not bad. But then you find out that the sewer system was on its last legs and they've been telling the owner for the last three years that he had to replace it. And uh, it's but water's been leaking behind the wall for the last decade and the seller knew about it. They didn't bother to say anything and they just put new baseboards on so you wouldn't notice the rotten drywall. And next thing you know, that repair cost you 10 grand. Well, what did that do to your $7,200 worth of cash flow? It wiped all of your profit in the first year and also wiped it in the second year, which kind of defeats the purpose, ladies and gentlemen, of uh, investing in the first place. So that is why it's so very important to make sure that you have inspections done. And if you're not okay with what you find, you need to make a decision. You can either back out of the deal. That's why you have an inspection clause written into your contract, or you can go back to the negotiating table. Now the seller's probably already mentally spent the money. I get it. That happens, but at least give the seller the opportunity to correct the situation. You could do it in a couple different ways. You could say, Mr. Seller, I, I need to get these, all these panels have to be replaced prior to closing for me to continue. I'll honor the same price, but I need new panels or I'll pay for half the panels. You pay for half the panels in the form of a credit at the closing table. The bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, renegotiation is not a bad thing. There's no rule out there anywhere that says that you have to take it in the shorts or that you have to put your in investors at jeopardy so that you don't violate this unwritten, ridiculous retrade rule. This is the dumbest thing on the planet, assuming that you're not one of those people that's abusing it. Now, if you're out there abusing it, if you're intentionally, you know, making an offer at one price and you know darn well that it's got something wrong with it, and you're going to act all surprised and then renegotiate. That's kind of not cool. If you're going to do that, yeah, then this, this unwritten rule, I guess, would apply to you. But otherwise, and when you find things that are just too much to handle, 
you got to look at what what is your net cash flow as it sits right now. What does your underwriting tell you? And if this new development has Im- major impact on your profitability or your ability to compensate your investors fairly, then maybe you need to rethink this deal. And that could look like either a renegotiation, as we call a retrade, or it could look like I'm getting the heck out of this deal while the getting's good because this is a major, major mess. Now, of course, you want to make sure that you have an inspection period, due diligence period, written into your contracts, into your LOIs. And now with every one of mine, I put a little blurb in there and it basically sounds like this. It basically says that the the due diligence period, the timer, let's say if the due diligence period is, let's say 30 days, right? For let's say we're doing an apartment building and I've got 30 days to get my due diligence done. My due diligence start date does not begin until the day after the seller has given me all of the documentation that I've requested. And then I include a list of documentation. Students of mine that are in the mailbox money program, they actually get to use my due diligence checklist that has all these things written on there. All the different things that they need to have from the seller. This is why I do this. If I say, let's say I do a 30 day inspection period and I'm waiting 15 days for the seller to decide to give me the documents, well, I've just burned up 15 days of my inspection period. Let's say I find something in said documents that require more time to inspect. Well, now I'm running on a time crunch because the sellers drag their feet getting me the information. So to prevent that from happening, I write it in my contract or in my offer that the seller has to agree to that says that no timers will start, no inspection periods or anything will shall commence until 24 hours following or one business day following the day that the last of the requirement required documents are received by the buyer from the seller or the seller's agent. That makes all the clocks stop. It literally freezes the time, freezes the calendar. If the seller wants to drag their feet given documentation, well, fine, that's cool. It gives me all lots of time to do extra due diligence, right? That means I'm not pressed for time. And if they don't turn over the documents, it gives me an automatic out because I will then definitely get all of my earnest money back. So that protects my earnest money or the investor's earnest money. It keeps everybody honest in the deal and it holds their feet to the fire because I'll tell you a lot of these sellers and I deal primarily with a lot of mom and pop sellers, their paperwork's a train wreck. I mean, I've literally been given rent rolls that are on a, on a napkin. One guy actually uh, had it written out on, he, he had scratched it out. He had a pen that had no ink and he wrote it on plywood. I was like, you got to be kidding me. What do you want me to do? Like get magic marker and like, color it in so I can see where the light parts are and read your, I mean, what, what is that? He didn't have any paper. Like, I can't believe this. This is how people do stuff, but they do. That's the reality of it. We got to make sure that we're following through on our due diligence. And I, and um, the due diligence checklist is a very important piece. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have not, and I know a lot of you have not taken part of the mailbox money program, we've made a lot of changes to the program. We're changing the venue and how it's uh, put out there. It is completely recorded now. You can take advantage of that program for a very, very reasonable price. The mailbox money system takes you all the way through step one, all the way through to the end on how to acquire cash flowing assets, be it a house, multifamily property, office, uh, mobile home. I've covered it all. I teach you how to raise the money. I teach you how to get your personal finances squared away. I teach you all my marketing secrets, my network secrets, uh, how to find opportunity, where the deals are, how to put them together. How do you keep it? I teach negotiations. The entire due diligence process is covered. The closing process and beyond is all in the mailbox money system. You can take advantage of that by going to mailboxmoneymastermind.com is the quickest way to get there. Mailboxmoneymastermind.com to take advantage of that. You're going to get blown away when you see how cheap I've got the price. I'm doing this because I want more people to win. I want you guys out there investing smart, investing safe. I hope you found this uh, episode valuable and look forward to talking to you next time.
This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.